Scripture, scripture reading today comes from 1 John 3, 11-24, and you can find that on page 12, 11 in the Black Pew Bible. Again, that's 1 John 3, 11-24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone is in the world's goods and sees the, his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the brother's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the love in the word and word talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and we, he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. First John chapter 3, Bryce read our teaching text this morning. We're walking through the, the book of First John, and it, this is what we do here at Beaver. We pretty much just teach through books of the Bible, just like you would read through books of the Bible or study on your own. We kind of teach through that. That's kind of our, um, our default mode. And so we're in First, uh, First John chapter 3. <clears throat> we're, um, we got a lot of people out, of course, vacationing and going to see family and whatnot. And I'm real excited about that because after Labor Day, we kind of get back into kind of our, our sweet spot where everybody's through traveling and we all get together and we uh, stay together and and live life together. So I'm excited about that. We're also excited today, our worship team, we're going to Nashville. There's a worship conference called Sing, and we went last year, Jeannie and I did, with uh, Dan and Mary Ann, and this year um, quite a few of our worship teams going today. We'll come back Wednesday before Bible study time, but we're excited about being together and about studying and learning how to lead you all in worship. Um, also, want to give a report. Uh, Mr. Leon got to come home. He had his procedure done. Got to come home. He's doing great. Went by and saw him the other day, and um, he's doing well. And Miss Lou uh, is doing better. Uh, her granddaughter Jenny sent me a message this morning. I went and saw her yesterday. Uh, she um, been strengthened a little bit, but she's in, um, hadn't been doing her well. But she's doing better. She actually ate breakfast this morning, and um, so. We're thankful for that. So just be praying for her that God would help her persevere in her faith, right? And uh, that she would uh, find comfort in Christ. We were able to sing, and she just she had enough energy to sing. So if you get to go see her, she's at St. Francis in Bartlett, room 117. Take you a hymn book and uh, sing with her. She loves. You remember she piano was right here. She used to she used to play the piano, and she loves those hymns. That's a great way to bless her be able to sing to her and love on her. So uh, lift her up this, this week. First John chapter 3, verse 11 through 24. We 
we don't want to miss the biggie on the eye chart. We, we, we say that little phrase a lot. Um, we want to teach the word. We want to sing the word. We want to counsel the word of God. But we, we can't be so zealous for the moral code of knowing and obeying God's word and forget to love people. And we, we, we have a tendency to do that sometimes, right? It's a balance. Everything's a balance in life. And it's hard to keep that equilibrium, isn't it? Keep that balance. But as we look at our text today, there's three times that John writes, by this we know. And it reminds us that we can't have assurance of our salvation. That's what John is wanting his the recipients of this letter, the believers in and around Ephesus, that's what he wants them to have is assurance. And he wants them to grow in their confidence that they know the Lord. And he's given three tests. It's a moral test. Is your life steered by God's commands? Does his law, does his word dictate how you live your life? All right, that's the moral test. The second test, the companion test. Do you love people? Do you love the church? Do you give sacrificially to those in your church, those who are part of the kingdom of God? That's the companion test. And then the theological test. Are you believing rightly about Christ and about who God is and about who his son is? And so what he he does is he keeps making circles, looping back. And these, these tests keep coming up. And today, another one's coming up. Loving your brothers. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus spoke about that in the upper room. Judas has just left the building. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus teaches his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So that brings us to our our first point, verse 11 through 15. We're to love the brothers. And I say brothers, that means brothers and sisters, right? We're all included in that. What love is not? He says, that which we have heard from the beginning. Think about John. He's the beloved apostle. He's the apostle of love. And since the first day he saw these believers in Ephesus, He has been teaching them that they should love one another from the get-go. Love one another. That's what Jesus had taught him. And this commandment, this new commandment that Jesus taught them was not really intrinsically different from the law of love in the Old Testament. It's new in, in the sheer depth and demand of the summons to love. Think about it in the light of the cross and the resurrection. All other definitions, all other understanding of love pale in comparison. But of all the biblical figures, if we had to choose one to illustrate what love is not, it would be Cain. All right? Look at verse 12. Speaking of in the beginnings, think about Cain. He's the first person ever born. The first person ever born into this world was Cain, and he did not. You don't think about love when you think about Cain, do you? You think about murder. And we don't know the exact reasons behind Cain's murder of Abel. 
We do know that God accepted Cain's offering and rejected Cain. Some, type, some say it's the type of sacrifice he brought. Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain brought a sacrifice from the field, from the, the harvest. Hebrews 11 tells us that Cain's offering was not offered in faith. I, I think the reason he rejected Cain's offering was because he knew Abel's heart and he knew Cain's heart as well. Cain didn't trust and love the Lord. But Abel did. Abel was righteous and Cain was not. And as a result, Cain was jealous and he slew his brother. He killed him. How not to love. Let's look at Cain's life. This is what it looked like not to love. Notice verse 12. He hated Abel because his righteousness exposed Cain's unrighteousness. And we know that. We see that, don't we? The dark hate, hate those who are in the light. When they come around, what does it do? It exposes their sin. So Abel's showing Cain up in regard to righteousness. But look at verse 13. John is writing to who? He's writing to, to Christians, to righteous people. And he, he says, don't be surprised if you're treated like Abel. Because you're in the light, you expose those who are in the darkness, and they have a disdain for you. Think about that if you share the gospel. That happens a lot, doesn't it? You share the gospel, some people embrace it, and they give a head nod, and they're like, I'm with you, but I know I've been taught that. My, my grandma taught me that. My mom and daddy taught me that. I, I, I know. But others give you a stiff arm, right? They don't want to hear it. The light of the gospel exposes darkness. And how many of you like to be told that you're wrong? Right? Yeah. Don't like it. Makes us uncomfortable. Makes us feel bad. We want to feel good. We don't want to feel bad. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that as believers, as we live our lives, as we're sharing the gospel, to some, those who are saved, we're a fragrance of life. Smells good. I like it. But to others, it's a fragrance of death. Had a mouse in my wall. I don't mind mice living in my wall. It's fine. Just don't die in my wall. So this week, some stanky stuff going on in our house. The fragrance of death. I ought to make a candle out of that, right? Sell it like Halloween or something, you know? Yeah, for us who are believers, to, to some, when we're around them, we're sharing the gospel, we're talking about what we're doing, talking about our lives, talking about our wives and our husbands and our kids. Ugh, they can't stand it. It exposes their wickedness and their disdain for the Lord. And so they disdain us. And John says, don't be surprised in verse 13 if you're treated terribly because that's the way they treat those who are in the light. In fact, Jesus, what did he say about that? Expect it, right? If they treat me terribly, how are they going to treat you? The master, if they treat the master terribly, how are they going to treat his servants? Yeah, equally as bad. Yeah. And if you hate, if you don't love, verse 14 and 15, look, it says you have no assurance, you should have no assurance, right? That you 
have eternal life. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. You have assurance if you love. God is love. Jesus is love. Those who are in Christ, in Jesus, they'll love. And if you love, you have assurance of your salvation. If you live lovingly, you have assurance that you have eternal life. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you don't love, you're not born again. You show yourself not to be a believer. You either love or you hate. You know God or you don't. Cain lived a life, what, it, what love isn't. Well, what is love then? What does love look like? Number two, love the brothers, what love is. And we see, we see a negative example. Here's Cain, what it looks like not to love, what John's doing here. But verse 16 through 18, we have a positive example in Christ. Christ created, if you read the book of Colossians, Christ created the world, created mankind, He's given mankind life, and what does mankind do in return? Right? Live obstinate lives in rebellion against the Lord. These same men that the Son of God had created, they were ones who struck them and reviled them. And the Scripture says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Who's doing the piercing? Who's doing the... Bruising, is it not those that God created? And we see Jesus' life. What does he do? Is, is he's doing ministry at the end of his ministry. He sets his face towards Jerusalem and he knows he's going to Jerusalem and nothing's going to deter him from that. Why? Because there he's going to lay down his life for sinners. And John is painting this picture. This is love. I mean, well, a lot of people love. I know terrible people who don't love the Lord. Who love? Yeah, they love their children, they love their wives, they love their husbands, they love their parents. Particularly that type of love, we love them because they do something for us. We love because they give something to us. We love because we're attached in some way, right? They're an extension of us, or we're an extension of them. So we love, right? There's something we gain. In fact, Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors, they're not good people. They're like folks that work at H&R Block, okay? They're not good folks. They're the vagabonds. They're the ragamuffins. They're, there is, it's not hard for unloving people ungodly people to love those who give something back. There's a benefit there, right? You may say, well, I was saving that money for a vacation. I can't give that money away. But that was my only day off. I can't help them with that move. I don't have time to do that. It's 
Saturday and it's football season. I have to watch the game. Love is that which doesn't seek something in return. It's real love is willing to sacrifice. True love is giving when we know we won't be repaid. And that's Jesus' love. He loves in this way. He's our exemplar. He gives to those who pierce them and bruise them. In verse 17, Jesus doesn't just love in word, but he loves in deed. He gives, and really there's true... True love really is about giving, isn't it? Giving of your time, energy, emotion, your money. It's interesting when you read the scriptures, there are some times when we don't give, right? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, we don't give when someone in their family can give, right? That happens here. We have people who are homebound, shut in, and we always we look to help and serve and but for most of our shut-ins they have family that can take care of their needs and wants to take care of their needs so we let their family take care of those things right if there's something they can't do we pick up the slack right but also second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6 and 10 if they're able-bodied and yet they not willing to work to provide for their own needs now we command you Paul writes in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. In verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah, there's, there's sometimes we don't give, right? But God calls us to love. He calls us to be giving people. And Are there needy people in your life that you should be giving to? We can't just say we love. Yeah, I really love that person. I really love this person. I love her and I love him. Unless we're willing to do something about it. Verse 18, Jesus didn't just say he loved. He showed it in his actions, right? Is there anyone in your life that needs to be listened to or given to or invited to lunch or given grace or maybe even gently rebuked? There was a young college student named Bill. He was young, you know, early 20s, maybe 20, 21. And he was at college, and he was uh, kind of scruffy-headed, and he wore a T-shirt every day, and he wore ripped jeans, which is kind of like a, a you know, trend these days. But he was in college, and he, um, he was born again college ministry there on campus he heard the gospel and he repented and trusted Christ radically saved and changed his life and Bill was uh, just a little different he was what we call eccentric he had Asperger's and, and that because of that he was just a little, little different cat and uh, he wanted to go to church across the street. There was a church. He saw this church right across from the campus. This church was a fundamental Baptist church. And we're Southern Baptist church. It's a fundamental Baptist church. A lot of those churches, uh, they're a little bit more formal than we are, right? 
And they wore, they wore ties and suits. There's nothing wrong with that. But Bill wanted to go to that church. And so he went to that church one Sunday and he showed up just a little bit late. Worship had already started. And he walked into the, walked into the church and he's just kind of looking around. Like I said, he's a little centric. And he's just looking around, looking around, looking around, trying to find a place to sit. And there's, it's packed. And the pastor was up there doing a call to worship type of thing. And he sees Bill. And Bill comes walking down and he walks down the aisle and he's looking for a place to sit. But there's no place to sit. And he kind of keeps walking up, walking up, walking up. And all of a sudden, everybody in the church, you know, as he's walking up, they're seeing him. Nathan, as he kind of passes, everybody's kind of taking notice. And everybody starts getting nervous. They're like, all right, what this, what's this guy doing? And like I said, scruffy-headed, T-shirt. Everybody else is in tie, you know, and, and dress. And, and he comes all the way up and there's no place to sit. And the pastor just kind of stops Notice everybody's focused on Bill, and Bill didn't really know what to do, and so Bill just kind of came up, and, and he just kind of sat down in Indian style right here in the floor. Which, for a college, being in college ministry, that's probably not a, an odd thing to do, right? But in this fundamental Baptist church, they'd never seen that before, and they didn't really know what to do, and the pastor didn't know, really know what to do, and he'd kind of froze, and, and in the back, kind of where Charles was sitting, up. Uh, stood a man, one of the deacons. And he was a saintly old fella. Love the Lord. He had his three-piece suit on. Not only that, but he had a little pocket watch to boot, right? And he had a cane, and he took his cane, and he, he began to make his way up the aisle. And everybody's kind of like holding their breath, and well, I guess he's finna tell us a little, you know, tell this young man where he, needs, where he needs to sit or do something with him, and everybody didn't really know what he did. And you know what that old man did? It took him a while, and you could hear the cane kind of tapping tapping down the floor and he got up here and it took him a little while but he had kind of handed the cane to the little the, the young man and, he, and that old man just kind of sit there Indian Indian style next to that college student and the pastor kind of gathered himself and he says what I'm about to preach you'll never remember but what you have just seen you'll never forget You know, kind of stuffy, you know, church. And that man just in Indian style, right beside the college student. And the preacher just preached, you know. Yeah, that's, that's loving. It's a loving thing to do, right? Yeah, we need to be loving. We've seen a negative example in Cain, right? We've seen a positive example in Christ. And lastly, verse 19 through 24. Love the brothers. What does love produce in our lives but assurance? Verse 19, 20. These are really difficult verses. Just been working at these for a while. and There's two different views about these verses. Let's read this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Two, two views here of these verses. The first one is that our hearts condemn us and God being greater than our hearts refers to God knowing all our sin, including the sin of just living by word only and not by action. The idea is that, well, we have a, a guilty conscience because we're not living rightly, but oh well, God knows our, he don't just know our, some of our sin. He knows all our sin. 
And if you think you have this guilty conscience and you're, you're not really living rightly, wow, you're living a lot worse than you even know. And it's true. We don't even know our own sin, right? We can't see it all, but God sees it all. And if you're condemning yourself, how much more the Lord? They don't see these verses, those who have this view, they don't see these verses uh, as verses of consolation to disturbed hearts, but more so verses to disturb comfortable hearts. And if you have that view, if you read this text, like, well, if you have that, hold that view, that's fine. That's not where I land, but you've got a good point. And there's other texts to back that up. And there's great theologians who would back you. Calvin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, that's pretty good company to be in if you hold to that view. And I have a different view in the second view of this text Is, is this, and I'll say this, we should never disregard a guilty conscience, right? I mean, that's why we have, we have, we sit before the Lord today. We're taking the Lord's Supper. Morgan read the text in 1 Corinthians 11. Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In other words, don't just flippantly take the Lord's Supper, take the bread and take the drink and all right, we're out of here. Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But also we need to examine ourselves. We need to sit before the Lord. Are we obeying the Lord? Are we living rightly? Are there unconfessed sin in our life? Yeah, that's why we, we confess our sin. He's like, man, yeah, I don't really like that part. I don't know why you do that. If nothing else, at least have somebody up there on the piano playing kind of lightly in the background, kind of get us through the moment. No, it's like just sitting silently before the Lord and allow the Lord to bring, script, bring Scripture to our remembrance, bring sin to our mind so we can confess it, repent, and then we can take the Lord's Supper, right, in a right way. So anytime we have a guilty conscience, we need to confess that and, and repent. That's for sure um, what we need to do. I'm not making light of sin for sure. But I think this, this text here is to be an encouragement to the believers. And John wants the believers to have assurance. And I think some people just have overactive or, over, yeah, overactive or real sensitive consciences. I mean, do we, live, do, we, do we love the Lord like we should? No, of course not. I mean, that's our goal, right? Bo, your goal is to love like God loves, to have God's heart for people, have God's heart for those who are in need. And, and I think, I'm just looking around the room, we've got a lot of loving people in our church. I mean, really loving people. People, if I ask, hey, I need something, a drop of a hat, you would drop everything and sacrifice and Give to my need. But I think for some of us, it's easy to be introspective and maybe live in condemnation. Even after you confess your sin, you confess your lack of love for others, your sensitive conscience just won't let you live in freedom. And I think in, in some ways it says God knows, right? God's greater. He knows all our sin, not just a little bit of it. He knows all of it, right? He knows our motives. He sees what we don't even see. We have blind spots. God sees it all. And, and in some ways I think his omniscience ought to terrify us. I think the first view that's that his omniscience should terrify us, right? 
And I think that's true, of course. I mean, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. You know what happened to the Corinthian believers who were taking the Lord's Supper? What was happening? They were having these things called love feasts. They would come and have a big dinner and they would eat up all the food and drink up all the drink. And when everybody gets off work or gets out of the fields and they come, there's nothing left. And it was supposed to have been like this holy moment that was just turning to be a big party that was very sacrilegious. And Paul warns them and says, you know, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. So we don't live flippant lives. Our guilty conscience, we don't take lightly. But at the same time, I think we have to remember who we are in Christ. Who are we? I mean, think about what God's done for us, for those of, who, for those of us who are in Christ. What has he done? He's chosen us. He's called us. He's opened up our spiritual ears and eyes to see truth. He's given us a new heart. He's granted us faith and repentance. And what happens when we exercise that faith? We're given eternal life. And we're declared righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what God has done in Christ. Wow. That's pretty amazing. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation and you're righteous. So I think when he talks about God being greater, him knowing all our sin, he knows what he's done for us. And instead of being, I think, uh, seeing God's judgment is more rigorous than our judgment of ourselves, I take this to mean God is more merciful. And I think it fits with, we see him dealing with Peter. You remember Peter who said he would never deny the Lord and he denied him three times, right? And, and Jesus has died and he's resurrected in this incredible moment in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, again, Jesus has died. You remember the scene? Peter saw him arrested and put on trial and he denied him three times and he was crucified and Peter denied him once, twice, three times, right? Jesus has ascended. Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they find it empty. But Jesus has appeared to them once, twice, and now we see them here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says to Peter, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What's Jesus doing here? He's not really taking Peter to the woodshed. Peter didn't need that. He'd seen the resurrected Lord. He knew he was a screw-up. He knew he was needy. What's Jesus doing here? What's he doing here? Yeah, comfort him. 
right? Restoring them. And in verse 19, Jesus says, follow me. He's not being gruff. No. The great shepherd saying, follow me. He's not coming down hard on Peter. I think he's restoring him. Lord, you know everything. So he's greater than our hearts, right? You know that I love you. Yeah. We who have knowledge of God's mercy and judgment, we who are in Christ, we're justified, we're washed clean. God has redeemed us. And when we exercise that faith that the Lord has given us and we are born again, what is the... What's heaven do? Rejoices, right? That includes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So, we need to remember what he's done for us and have confidence and have assurance. Again, we need to confess and repent when we are aware of our sin. Do you have confidence? Because of what the Lord has done in your previously self-absorbed heart? Do you have confidence in who you are? Yeah, as you love other people, you know that God has saved you and given you a new heart and changed you. And not only that, but he's given him your given you himself, the Holy Spirit. Spirit, empowering you to love. And there's blessings of assurance. Verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now this isn't, we don't, God's not a souped up Santa Claus. We ask wrongly, we were denied. By God's grace, right? As we live in obedience, trusting Jesus and loving one another, we have confidence to draw near the Lord in prayer. Knowing he hears and answers those who are praying, not my will, but yours be done. There's a story of a Roman emperor and during the Roman Empire when a victory was won they had a big parade so the emperor was coming through the city and they had just like we would have right at Christmas parade you have all the soldiers kind of lining the streets and the emperor's coming the emperor's coming so you keep all the the common people at bay and they were getting up to a platform and the emperor was going to address the people and out from around the platform a little boy jutted out and began to run to the emperor and he was grabbed by the arm by one of the Soldiers and the soldier says, Boy, do you not know who's coming? That's the emperor. The little boy looked up and said, He may be your emperor, but he's my daddy. Was it all right if that little boy ran up to the emperor? Yeah, because it, it was his daddy, right? We have this confidence. We should have a confidence and assurance. We approach the Lord. We petition him and ask him for things that we need and things that's going to give him glory. We have confidence that he hears us and grants those things that we pray according to his will. 
Yeah, we have confidence as we love others. We have confidence in our prayer life. About that, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes, God answered Jesus and granted his request. And the nearer we approximate to Jesus, in the same way, we can be certain that our request will be granted. So as we grow to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord, we'll see more and more of our prayers answered. And of course, verse 24, this is all made possible by the Spirit that lives in us. So when we feel condemned, what do we do? Well, we confess and repent. But John Stott, he writes, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working and particularly whether he is enabling us to believe in Jesus, to obey God's commands, and to love one another. For the condition of Christ dwelling in us and of our dwelling in him is this comprehensive obedience. And the evidence of the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So just by way of application, do you love do you love others? Do you love the church? Do you love one another? Is your life characterized by self-sacrifice for the good of other people? Do you have people that you give to, you know when they can't give anything back to you? You remember several weeks ago we did the morality test, right, John? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us this test. Is your life steered by God's commands? James, I kind of challenged our folks. Hey, go to work. Go to school. Ask your coworkers, ask your teachers or your classmates, do I look like a Christian? You remember that? I gave you that homework. Some of you actually did that. Do, I, do you think I'm a Christian by the way I live my life? That's great. I think it's good. For some of you, might be disappointed. Some of you would be pleasantly surprised maybe. And that would give you opportunity to talk about Christ, right? And the difference Christ should make in our lives. Maybe do the same thing. Hey, am I a loving person? This is what my pastor was teaching on. This is the text. And he kind of gave us his homework. Do you think I'm a loving person? Yeah, you ought to ask. Yeah. You can ask your people in your family. You could ask your classmates. Ask your coworkers. And maybe your life is characterized by self-absorption. You do what you want to do all the time. You don't have a regard for what God would have you to do, and you're not really a loving person. Well, the Scripture says you're lost. You don't know God. So the application for you would be to repent, turn from your life of sin and living for yourself, trust what Christ did on the cross for you, his death, his resurrection, Commit your life to following Christ. Give yourself to the Lord. But for the church, today is hopefully a day of encouragement. I mean, look around the room. You see a lot of folks here who have a lot of give in them. They give a lot. And you know, if you needed something, they'd give to you. They'd help you. They'd be there for you. We don't do that perfectly. But I look around, I see a lot of people who give. 
and I'm encouraged and I hope you're encouraged and I hope there's assurance given to you today. Not because of your goodness, but God's goodness in you through Christ. And encourage you to run to the Father who knows all things. You're more of a mess. He knows you're more of a mess than you even think you are. But yet he saved you, giving you a purpose in life. Isn't that good? Let's take the Lord's Supper. If you're here and you're, if you're not born again, if you're lost, if you're on the way to hell and you're at enmity with God, don't take the Lord's Supper today. You just watch. Maybe you have children here and there's children here. If they're not born again, if they haven't been baptized, we, we encourage them not to take the Lord's Supper. They'll have some questions to ask after the service and that's good. It'll be a big opportunity for you to Talk to them about the gospel. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. How we're going to do this, we've got these little cups. Raise your hand if you need the elements. Anybody need the elements? You're like, oh man, I didn't get those. And I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to Chris when he got up here. Anybody? Okay. There's nothing magical about the, the Lord's Supper. There's nothing magical about it. We, we're believers, and so God, God in Christ tells us to take the Lord's Supper, and we do this, as Morgan read earlier, in remembrance of him. What are we remembering? We're remembering his body broken for us and remember his blood shed for us. Wonderful time just to focus on Christ and what he has done for us. It's, uh, it's, diff it's difficult, it can be, getting that top thin layer off and there's a little wafer there and it's the bread that Jesus was referring to. We're going to eat this in just a moment. I'm going to give thanks and we'll eat it together. And as we do, we've got to work real hard at this. We've got to work real hard at focusing on Christ and being thankful because right now you're looking and you're thinking, it's 11.52, is he going to get finished by 12? And you're thinking about a lot of things you have to do. Let's just focus on Christ and let's just really work at trying to be disciplined and be thankful for what Christ has done. We're going to be thankful for his body. I'll give thanks for his body. We'll eat it together. Then we'll peel this next layer back and we'll give thanks for the blood of Jesus and we'll drink that together and then we'll be dismissed, okay? But let's really focus hard. This is a really special moment in the life of our church. And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks, and we'll eat this together as a church family. Father, we are thankful, and we are trying to be obedient, and we, we blow it, and we fail so often. And you are greater than our hearts. You know it all. You know that ways we've disobeyed you and not being completely honest and not being totally submitted to our parents and, and not being submitted to the governing authorities. And you know how we have said things that we shouldn't say and we've done things we shouldn't do. And there's so many good things that we should do that we didn't do. Father, we confess that and we acknowledge that. We don't deserve to be able to even take this supper 
our salvation is grace. Us being here today is grace. Us being able to focus on you is grace. And we're thankful, thankful, thankful for the body of Christ. We're thankful that Jesus took on flesh. 2,000 years ago, he came to earth and obeyed you, Father, completely and perfectly for us. He dwelt among sinners to be our exemplar, to be our sacrifice, to be our Lord, to be our Savior. And we're thankful for him. We're thankful for his body and his body that was broken on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread, eat it, being thankful for Jesus remembering his body. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new covenant that Jesus established, made possible by his blood that was shed for sinners. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember in the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sin. Father, we acknowledge Jesus' sacrifice. We sometimes think, how could those Jews have been so terrible to their Messiah? But yet we have lived terrible lives, equally terrible. We've lived our lives in rebellion against you, ungrateful for your son and blasphemed his name. We acknowledge that and we're thankful for Jesus' blood that atones for our sin completely and perfectly. We're thankful that we can be forgiven. We're thankful that we can be called a child of God all made possible because of Christ and his sacrifice for his blood shed for us. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the precious blood of Jesus. And we're thankful, remembering his sacrifice for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink it together. Come on up. Worship team, we're gonna we're gonna sing one verse, be our benediction. Man, we're so glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Um, some of you've been visiting with us for a little bit, and that's good. At some point, sometime, you need to plant somewhere. We encourage you to plant here if this is where you want to be. If not, you get somewhere where you can be involved in one another's lives. And but we are understand God's providence, right? We don't understand providence. It's one of those mystical things, but you're here providentially. Well, I came because I wanted to. Well, that's right. God used that to get you here, and I'm glad you're here. 
But maybe there's something said today that um, stirred your heart. If there's anything that you'd like to talk about, I'm here. There's a lot of believers in this room. They'd love to be able to they explain the gospel and what it means to repent just like I can. But I'd love to talk to you. I'll be the last one to leave. If you got a question about anything that we've done or said, I'd love to talk to you about that also. But God is a wonderful God. He's a good gift giver, and we we come to, we come to church not because we got it all together. We come to church because we don't. We're needy folks, isn't that something? A bunch of good people down there. No, we're a bunch of jacked up, messed up folks, <laughs> right? I'm gonna bust your bubble there. But that's the great thing. We can have assurance. That we're accepted by God, right? And we're on this pilgrimage, right? This journey of being made like Him. And He's promised to make us like Him. Isn't that something? Visiting these older folks, you know, who are in their latter years, and they often say, one day, one day soon, I won't have to worry with this flesh and this sin and selfishness. And they're like, yeah, what a day that'll be, right? Well, my Jesus, I shall see, right? Yeah, stand with us, let's sing. We'll be dismissed. See